Welcome to this week's podcast from Suncoast Church. We hope that this message inspires you and helps you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more details, check out suncoast.org.au. We hope you enjoy this message. You know what? The one thing that people have been uh, had the most um, to say about decisions that I made in my life um, that I didn't actually realise was daring at the time, I just thought it was a good decision, was when I started dating my husband, Daniel. Uh, People, people had some things to say um, from many different areas of my life. You know, my grandparents were like, oh my goodness, he needs to cut his hair. And I think that was the thing that was wrong with him. I've got a photo here of us in 1997. That's me at the ripe old age of 20 and a half. Uh, very, yeah, and there we are. And that's us more recently, just so you know. Um, and um, yeah, he, he was a surfer. And I asked him, you know, obviously to share, if, is it all right if I put a photo of you, you know, with out a shirt on? Um, and he was like, um, yes, remember, it was the, the trouble was I was a surfer. And I'm like, oh, that's right. It was, he was a surfer and he had long hair. And it didn't matter that he was, you know, uh, studying and a, working a professional job and an upstanding citizen. That didn't matter at all. He had long hair, you know. And so funny, after the 8.30 service this morning, uh, you know, a few other people came up and were like, me too, I had long hair too. So, you know, uh, it was clearly, he was a drummer as well. Oh, my goodness. Anyway, uh, daring decisions. Um, anyway, that's got nothing to do with what I'm going to talk about today. I was just thinking about, you know, daring decisions. You know, one of the uh, really daring decisions um, that um, was made in, in the Bible was a story of Joshua and Caleb, two guys who uh, went against the tide of popular opinion uh, during their time. And so the question I want to ask today is how do you stay faithful? And I think it's a big question. I think it's an important question. How do you stay faithful uh, when everyone around you is giving up? giving up the faith, giving up confidence, uh, giving up their willingness to participate, giving up, you know, whatever it might, giving up hope um, that something is going to work out for good. Um, and so we're going to pick up the story. I've got a little map here. The, the Israelites had recently come out of Egypt. So they had exiled out of Egypt under the leadership of Moses. And they went from um, is, um, Egypt, I beg your pardon, Egypt, which is over on the left. It's just out of the map there. And they had walked kind of northeast um, toward where that red uh, rectangle is in the corner there and they they sort of were in this area called Kadesh Barnea uh, and and so the the evidence that they had of God being good to them and God being strong for them uh, was was huge right at this point in time they come out of Egypt after hundreds of years being slaves and they had exiled um, into um, the wilderness and they wanted to go back to this land here which was the land of their forefathers so the land of Canaan was the land where their forefathers Abraham Isaac and Jacob had originally come from and they went back they went down to Egypt originally because of a famine hundreds of years went by they were enslaved and then they were led out under the leadership of Moses and they're camping here at Kadesh Barnea and Moses by this time you know there's there's hundreds of thousands of them and there's 12 tribes, and Moses grabs a representative from every tribe uh, to go into the land of Canaan, um, to Moab, Edom, and and go and check it out because nobody in the group, quite quite a large group, nobody in the nation had a living memory of what Canaan was like. They told stories about it, and it was you know the land legendary land flowing with milk and honey, but they didn't actually know what it was like. So he chose these 12 guys to go into the land of Canaan to, to suss it out. 
and they come back uh, with mixed reports. So let's pick up the story here in Numbers chapter 13. And this is when the 12 of the, the 12 spies are coming to tell Moses what they saw. And they told him, um, we went to the land where you sent us and it truly does flow with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. And they had this pole between two of them with a bunch of grapes. Like it really was a land that was incredibly rich and fertile. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Now, the descendants of Anak was like a giant and the descendants were huge warring people. And the Amalekites, they dwell in the land in the south. They're also warring people, the Hittites as well, the Jebusites, the Amorites, they dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. So pretty much the land's taken up. No space for us. Then Caleb quieted the people. So there were two of them, Joshua and Caleb, who had a good report. And this is one of them. Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and take possession for we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. And there's a little bit of argy-bargy between them here, you know, no, 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 it's too big. It's, you know, it's, and, and eventually we're just going to skip a few verses ahead into Numbers chapter 14, verse 6. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who spied out the land, they tore their clothes. So they, they got so, which is a sign in ancient times of like 100% distress, you know. Like I am so, my heart is rent, you know. And so they would tear their clothes so distressed by what you're saying. Very dramatic demonstration of what was going on inside of them. And they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel saying, the land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, they said, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. And then they say these words, Only don't rebel against the Lord. Don't go against what God has brought us here to do. Don't go against the purpose of God. Don't go against the promise of God. Don't turn your back on God, nor fear the people of the land. They are our bread. Their protection has departed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And all the congregation, what was their response? Stone them kill them, get rid, of, get rid of these two guys. They're clearly a risk that we need to deal with and get out of the camp. Why? Because they lost sight of the potential. You know, they were camped at the southwest border of Canaan and they didn't go in. They lost sight of the potential that was right before them. They lost sight of the promise. They, they lost their recent memory of God bringing them out of Egypt and they talked themselves out of an opportunity. Have you ever done that? But talked yourself out of an opportunity? Talked yourself out of something that, you know, could have been great? And so now the story that you tell is, oh, I could have, but you actually can't tell the story of you did. This is where they were at. They completely lost focus on the potential reward and instead focused on the difficulty. And they weren't just rejecting the land, they were actually rejecting God. Moses, was pre- he was very disappointed, very disheartened by the 
wave, the tide of negativity that swept throughout the nation that he was leading, you know, he's just taken him out of Egypt. He's just risked his life, you know, and now they're like, you know, had a failure of nerve right at this critical, crucial moment. And Moses goes and talks with God and God goes to Moses. He goes, you know what? They're not rejecting you. They're actually rejecting me. This was a lack of faith that God would deliver on his promise right at the last minute. And so it was, it was, it was just a really big part of Israel's history. And uh, people, as we're going to talk about in a minute, people retell this part of Israel's history time and time again. So they didn't. They didn't go in. There was not enough confidence in the camp to cross into the promised land. So 40 years go by and they wander around the wilderness for 40 years. And those 10 guys died out, Moses passed, and eventually Joshua, who's one of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, Joshua takes the leadership of Israel and he leads them in to the land of Canaan to cross the Jordan River and go into the land of Canaan. And scholars estimate that approximately by this time there's about 2 million people that entered into the promised land, into Canaan. And you know what? Joshua and Caleb were two in two million or one in a million kind of guys. So um, once they get into the promised land, they've got some jobs to do. You know, they, um, there's, they conquer Jericho. They conquer another city called Ai. And they're sort of, you know, they occupy, there's two million of them. It's not like you just go and find your own patch of grass. You know, it was, it was ancient times and it was, you know, occupy, occupying territory kind of um, efforts. Um, so they could go back to the land of their forefathers. And, um, and after a few years, uh, Joshua and Caleb have this conversation. As a matter of fact, Caleb comes to Joshua, who is the leader of, of the nation, and says these things. And we pick up the story in Joshua's account in chapter 14. Caleb says to him, I was, you know what, I was 40 years old uh, when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea there in the southwest in to spy out the land of Canaan. And I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. I was true to what I saw, but I was also true to the uh, the promises of God, to the potential that God had for us. I I was true. Um, Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. But I wholly followed the Lord my God. I wholly followed him. I was careful what I listened to. I was careful how I spoke. I filtered what came in. I filtered what came out. I wasn't denying the facts, but I was searching for the truth and I wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive. He said, as he said, these 45 years, so 40 years since they went into Canaan and then another five since they've now been in the land. 40 years Uh, 45 years since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now here I am, this day, 85 years old. And as yet, I am as strong this day as on that day that Moses sent me in. He's a pretty cool guy. Now, therefore, give me this mountain. He hadn't lost sight of the promise. He hadn't lost sight of the goal. Give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard in that day how the Anakim were there and that there were cities were great and fortified. He's going, I know that there's mountain, there's giants in the land. I know that there's warring people in the land. But it may be. 
It may be that God is with us, that the Lord will be with me and I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord has said. It may be that God will be with us and that maybe this mountain that's in front of me, this part of the land of Canaan, this mountain might be a place where my family can rest. It may be that God will be with me. And so he's not denying the fact that there's issues and that there's challenges and that there's you know, a problem in front of him, but he's also speaking to the potential that's in front of him and not denying the opportunity that's in, in front of him. So my big question is, how do we not lose our conviction, our faith or our vision when everyone else is giving up around us? When everyone else is dropping the baton, when everyone else is saying it's too hard, when everyone else is shrinking back and reducing the size of the challenge so that they can say that they did the task. Did you know that? Did you know that if you want to just, you know, meet all your KPIs, your key performance indicators, just reduce the audacity of them, just reduce the size of them, you know, you can say that you've done it. So what is the decision-making around staying faithful. And the reason that these questions are so important is because our faith, or lack thereof, affects those around us. You know, those 12 guys, they were representing their nation. And because of their lack of faith, because of their fear and their doubt that God would be with them, it affected, they robbed a whole generation of entering into the promised land. And it was the next generation that Joshua led in. And so we, we know that, don't we? We know that as, as parents, as people, as people who work, who have work teams and colleagues. We know that the way we conduct ourselves, the way we speak, the way we, uh, you know, the way we, we act affects those around us. We know that as, as parents, you know, sometimes, you know, you're constantly, sometimes you feel like you're nagging, don't you, as a parent? You know, don't do that and don't do that. And you've got to be super careful that you don't send a message of you're not good enough. Because, you know, in the, in the trying to address the behavior or address the maturity or lack thereof, you, know, uh, you, don't, you don't want to send a message of you're not good enough and you're not measuring up. You know, you want to send a message of there's more to you than this. There's more in you than this. Therefore, and so it's really hard is that we know that our faith in, in potential in those around us or our lack of faith in it affects them. It has an effect on the people around us, on our community. You know, our faith as a church, as a faith community in our wider community shows and either makes space for our wider community and opportunity or closes it down, doesn't it? That, you know, our activity it demonstrates our willingness to engage, demonstrates that we believe in the potential of our community and the people that live in it. And so how we connect and how we respond and how we engage with people sends messages of I believe in you or I don't believe in you. And that's why these questions are so incredibly important. You know what? Problem solving is necessary. And I feel like we're good at this in the West. <laughs> you know, in Western cultures, we're very good at identifying problems and developing systems around it or processes. We're good at, you know, uh, identifying w- what the win is, um, you know, what your key performance indicators might be. But the risk is, is that if we only ever put our energy into the problem, uh, then we can lose sight of potential. 
And maybe you've worked in a situation like that where, you know, you feel like all you're doing is gap filling, you know, where it's just compliance and regulation and it's just like you feel like a bean counter because you're just following a process. And the process that was originally designed to serve the people, now the people are serving the process, you know. And that happens when we lose sight of the potential and the opportunity and and instead we just focus on solving problems. Now, we don't want to not solve problems. We don't want to just like put up with things, become mediocre, sweep stuff under the carpet, pretend it's not there. We don't want to do that because that just breeds like feral stuff, you know. It's like never cleaning. What do you grow? You grow feral bacteria and things, you know, gooey, you know. So that's not what we're talking about. The problem uh, problem solving is absolutely necessary, but don't we've, it's got to be balanced with and it's got to be led by opportunity. It's got to be led by the potential. It's like when you're uh, talking to your kids. I was talking about this just, just before. Um, if you're constantly letting them know what they're doing wrong but not reminding them of who they are, then they get a bigger message about who they're not than who they are. And we need to hold that space for them as parents. We need to hold that space and let them know who they are and sometimes say no for them. Sometimes kick them out and like, go get it, you know. Sometimes you're pulling them back and sometimes you're sending them out, you know, whatever it might be uh, for the sake of the potential in their own lives that they might not even be able to see yet. The purpose for their own life that they might not yet have the maturity to see. We need to, we need to, indicate even though they're in in that correction in that you know problem solving or addressing the issue or whatever it might be that we also indicate a credible amount of confidence in who they are and and that works at work as well you know it works in our community it works in if you're in a team you know indicating confidence that we don't just evaluate the life out of everything and suck the oxygen out of the room you know with oh yeah you're so right you're dead right kind of thing you know but that you actually are also um Remember to speak the life and the potential into the situation. We, when we started this conversation, we started, Jono uh, talked about Hebrews 11, which gives us a definition of faith. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, now faith is confidence. Faith is confidence. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what, about, about what we do not yet see. So then unbelief is a lack of confidence. It's a lack of faith. And that's not even like, you don't even need to be a Christian to realise that. You know that when you've had your doubts and your fears about whatever it might be in any area of your life, you're like, oh, I feel like oh, there's an overwhelming lack of confidence Confidence right now. I'm feeling depleted in terms of, I'm not sure if I want to go there. You know, You know that feeling. You know that feeling. So faith is confidence in what is not yet seen. So what if... Instead of focusing on the problems, we were faithful to the God-given potential in those around us. What if instead of focusing on the problems, not that we, we're, not, we're not trying to deny them, we're not trying to not address them, and they need to be addressed. You know, when, when Caleb went, went into the promised land as an 85-year-old guy, he wasn't just expecting the milk and honey to flow to his feet, <laughs> He knew he had to go and fight and conquer and make space for his family before he could enter rest. So there was definitely a challenge ahead of him. But what if 
instead of only focusing on that and shrinking back and and being so risk adverse that we never do anything, so safe that we never do anything at all, that our story is I could have instead of I tried. What if we were faithful to the God-given potential in those around us? How would that change how we speak about our friends? How would that change about how we speak about our community? How would that change how we speak about our boss, our, our employees, about our family? How would that change how you speak about your marriage? You know, that you wouldn't just listen or lean in to all the things that's wrong with the other person, but you would lean in more so to the things that's right about that person, to the God-given talent and purpose that is in that person that you married. Even if everyone said, my gosh, he's got long hair and he's a surfer. What if, what if your role in your marriage was to bring out the best in the other person? It absolutely is. It absolutely is. How would it change if you were to be faithful to the God-given purpose? How would it change how you speak about your time? You're like, I don't know, Alison. I'm not sure about this God-given purpose thing. I'm not even quite sure if there is a God. Maybe you're listening online today and maybe you're checking out church because you're kind of, you're intrigued or maybe you're facing a mountain, you know, a metaphoric mountain in your world and you're like, okay, so I'm going to give... God a go. I'm going to give church a go. Uh, you're absolutely welcome here. Um, and but w- what if what if that's what if that's where you're at? What does this uh, this idea of God given purpose actually mean? What what is that? It's that sense of there's more to your life than you're currently living in. It's that sense of you know what? There's a potential inside of me that's bigger than. I currently am experiencing, we would say that that's the will of God for your life, that that's the call of God for your life. So how would, if you were to believe that, if you were to believe that, that God has created you for a purpose and he has created you the way he's created you for the purpose that you need to fulfill, how would that change how you speak about others and about how you speak about yourself? Here are some more questions. Are you being faithful to yourself? Are you being faithful not just to yourself, not like that motivational, high positive, hyperactive, you know, hyper positive kind of, you know, motivational. You can go elsewhere for that kind of a talk. This isn't what that talk is today. But what if, are you being faithful to your God-given gifts and capacities? And talents? Are you being faithful to your God-given personality? Are you being faithful to who God's created you to be? And I really like this set of questions. I didn't make them up. I've borrowed them from Parker J. Palmer, but I really like them because it doesn't ask you to be God to others. Your role is not to be God. Your role is not to be the source of everything or to address all the needs of everybody all the time. But if you're faithful to who you're created to be and you're not trying to be somebody else, if you're faithful to your God-given talents and instead of shrinking back and seeing all the excuses, if you're faithful to that, then are you also being faithful to the needs around you and working out how your talents and your personality and your interests and your giftings can intersect with the needs that are in front of you? 
Are you being faithful to the person who's in the mirror in the morning when you clean your teeth? I hope you do. You know, you might be like, what is it? You know, the person in the mirror, what are you, what's the conversation? What's the narrative going on there? And you're like, do you really talk to yourself in the mirror? No, I don't. But, you know, it's, it's the object, right, of the lesson. How's that conversation going with the person that stares back at you every time you comb your hair, clean your teeth, get ready for work in the morning, get ready to go out today? What, what is the conversation going on there? Is it a, is it a depleting, negative, excuse-making, nagging, like pulling down, tearing down conversation that you're having with yourself? Or are you reminding yourself that you were created by God and that he created you the way he did because he has a job for you to do that is incomparable to anybody else? Why? Because nobody else is you and you have a job to do because you were created to be you. So how are we being faithful with that, with that created essence of who we are and how that intersects with the needs around us and other people? Stay in the game. Stay in the game. My encouragement to you would be, you know, Caleb, when he had this conversation with Joshua and said, give me this mountain, he was 85 years of age and he kind of waited for 40 years, kind of walking around in circles for a little while because of the effects of everybody else on, on the trajectory of his life. But you know what? That kind of like, that, that's a marathon. You can't sprint when you're running a marathon, right? That's a, that's a long-term, that's a long-term vision. That's a long-term waiting. That's a lot of patience. That's a lot of hoping. That's a lot of, you know, trusting God. So how do you do that long-term without burning yourself out? Sometimes it's, I feel like it's a little bit like a, a game, you know, a little bit like sometimes you're going to be on the field and sometimes you need to take yourself off the field for a little bit and just take a breather and be on the bench, but stay in the game. Even if you're on the bench, you know, we do this with our kids, don't we? We, uh, we go, get out there, go play the game. And then after a while, we're like, hang on a minute. That's not a wise thing to do. Come back here, sit on the bench for a while. Actually, you sit on the bench till you change your attitude and then you can get out there again, you know, whatever it might be. Um, we need to do that to ourselves. You know, we need to be in the game, but sometimes we stay on the bench just for the sake of the long, the long-term, you know, goal. But here's my big encouragement. Don't leave the arena. Don't leave the game. Even if you're on the bench, don't give up because once you leave, you lose sight of the goal. You lose sight of the end purpose. You lose sight of maybe what the the whole potential was in front of you. So don't extract yourself from the game. That would be my encouragement to you. You know what? Faithful people have their personal lives and their public lives reconciled. They don't struggle with, I've got to be this person in public and then are a different person in private. And the reason is, is because... They're, they're following a purpose. They believe that there's a purpose for God in every area of their life. And so their moral code or their sense of morality or their sense of ethics or their sense of what is right and wrong uh, follows through in every area of their life. The moral code isn't something that just you turn on for a public facade or turn on for public show A moral code is something that will create opportunity because you have credibility. 
moral code is not something that you just add to your, like your trophy cabinet. It was, oh, look, I've got good morals when I'm in public. And then there's a, a, a distance, a dissonance or a, you know, a gap between what the reality is in private and the reality is in public. No, faithful people are consistent in every area because they are not driven by being a good person. They're driven by purpose. And the purpose drives them to behave in a certain way that is God-honoring and honoring of others. That's what morality is, right? It's looking after others. It's being respectful and caring for others. It helps them. And so it's not just a Christian thing in terms of, oh, you've got to be a good boy or a good girl. It's, it's more a sense of what, what is the potential? What's the purpose of God for your life? What's the potential in me? And, and what, is God's, what is God's will for me? And so, therefore, I will behave in a way that reflects that. And so, there's consistency. One of the kings of Israel, David, he was the second kings of, king of Israel, he prayed this prayer and it's recorded in Psalm 86 verse 11. He said, teach me your way, God, that I might rely on your faithfulness. And there's that kind of that reciprocity, that circle that Nick was talking about this morning when he was leading worship, you know, because God has been faithful to us, we can be faithful, we can have faith in him. And that because he, t- he takes the first move, God's already taken the first step. He's already made the first move. And so God, and so this is what David's praying here is going, God, teach me to rely on your faithfulness. And then he says these words, give me an undivided heart. Help me to be faithful in every era of my life. Help me not to be double-minded. Help me to have an, an undivided heart, a singleness of purpose to follow your will that I might fear your name. You know this um, story about Joshua and Caleb and how Israel kind of took their time to get from one place to another, 40 years of walking in the wilderness. It's, it's a story that the Israelites, the Jewish people told time and time again, you know, as thousands of years kind of have clocked over since. Uh, we actually find reference to it in the New Testament. And so this is thousands of years later now. And the writer of Hebrews is writing to Jewish Christians. Um, there's many different letters to Christian churches in the first century in the New Testament and some of them are from Greece and some of them are from Rome, Italy, and some of them are, you know, this one was for the Hebrew church, for the Jewish church. And, um, and the writer here is talking about this whole situation of the Israelites, how they didn't go into the promised land straight up. And in verse 16 of chapter 3, the writer asks the questions, who were they who heard and rebelled? Who were these people? Who were these people that didn't trust God? who hardened their hearts, who didn't look at the promise, who let the problem speak to them louder than the potential. And then he says the question, were they not all those that Moses led out of Egypt? Didn't they have enough evidence that God was good and that he was strong and that he was powerful? You know, it was only a little while earlier when they lost nerve, they had a failure of nerve and they went, we don't want to go into that land, there's giants in the land, that God had opened the Red Sea and got them out of Egypt, hardened the heart of Pharaoh and got them out. These people had a living memory of the mighty, powerful hand of God. And yet they failed 
to enter into what God had for them. He says in verse 19, so we see that they were not able to enter the promised land, the rest that God had for them, the promises, the new life, the permanent home. They were not able to enter because of their unbelief, because they didn't trust God, because the problems outweighed the potential. I want to be like Caleb. Instead of getting spooked by the enormity of the mountain before me or overwhelmed by it, I want to be the guy or the girl who goes, but what if God was with me? Caleb said these words, now therefore, Joshua 14 verse 12, give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. I've set my heart, I've set my eyes, I've waited patiently, I've never lost hope, I've been faithful to what I believe. Not just the facts, I'm not, he doesn't deny the facts, he doesn't deny the fact that there's, there's giants and it's going gonna, it's gonna to take a lot of effort, it's going to be a challenge, but you know what, coupled with that challenge is great potential, is great reward. And so he says, it may be, it may be that the Lord will be with me. What is your mountain? What is the mountain that you're facing? And maybe that's why you're here today. Maybe that's why you've tuned in online today. Maybe that's why you found yourself in a faith community. Because there's a significant mountain that you're facing. And I would say that we're probably, all of us in this room are facing a mountain of some kind. And maybe it's an issue in your family, a relational mountain. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's health. Maybe it's something in our community that just breaks your heart. Maybe it's a mountain of, of opportunity. You know that you could do something, but it's going to take a huge amount of effort to get there. And there's a mountain of opportunity. Why? Because it has to be climbed. It has to be overcome. What is your mountain today? What is the mountain that you're facing? Mountain of maybe doubt, maybe fear. Maybe a mountain of being scared of what the unknown might be. And how faithful would you be to both conquering it and realizing its potential? Because you know what? Caleb didn't just conquer the mountain and drive out the the people that were the inhabitants that were living there. He went and dwelt there. He made his home there. His family grew there. His children and grandchildren and great, great, great grandchildren were there because their grandfather had a vision. And so the mountain is not just something that needs to be conquered. It's also something that will bring great potential and a releasing of great opportunity in your life. Did you know that the view from the top of the mountain is way better than the view from the bottom? So how faithful would you be to conquering that thing, whatever it is for you, and to seeing potential released out of that situation if you knew that God was with you? God was with you right where you are. And we know, and our faith is, that he absolutely is. All we need to do is ask him.
is to invite him, God, come be with me. So I'd like to pray for us this morning. Pray for those of you online, wherever you are, that God would be with you. Holy Spirit, come and be with us. God, whatever the mountains are that we are facing, whatever the mountains are in our lives that seem to loom before us, we pray that you would come be with us and that we would not just face these things in our own strength because our own strength will not be enough. But God, that we would face these mountains and that we would challenge these mountains and overcome these mountains, God, through your strength. God, where we feel depleted and where we feel like we're at the end of our rope and we don't have the resources that it takes, God, we pray, God, that you would give us grace. God, that you would fill us with your joy and that that joy would give us strength. And my God, in this process of taking on the mountain, in the process of taking on the challenge, my God, we pray that at the same time you would do a work in us that would release great potential and that opportunity would be realized. My God, that we would not shrink back. And God, where we have, God, we say we are sorry. God, that we would not shrink back, God, to doubt and unbelief and such such um, control mechanisms to, to reduce risk. But God, that we would be sensible and that we would face the challenge and acknowledge acknowledging the facts, but God, that we would also acknowledge the truth of who you are and the promise of your word and the promise that you will be with us. We pray, God, that you would give us the courage. God, that you would give us the courage that comes from heaven. God, when our own confidence is at its end, we pray, God, that our confidence in you, God, would take over. God, that you would be with us. Father, we pray that you would be with us in every situation. In every situation. In our work situation, God, be with us. God, for those who are believing you, are hoping God for work today. God, for a new job or for a change in their work situation. God, I pray, Heavenly Father, Holy Spirit, that you would be with them. God, for those people who are facing health issues this morning, I pray, Father, you would be with us. You would be with them. My God, where our strength comes to an end, that your strength would begin and that you would carry us. God, those, of, those people here that are facing financial issues, my God, that you would be with my God, those people that are facing issues where they know that they're like it's a private issue and they know that they somehow need to reconcile their private and their public lives. God, I pray that the sense of a purpose of God for their life, a sense that God has placed incredible potential in them, my God, would help them to make decisions that are wise because you are with us. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you were encouraged by what you heard and inspired to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more details, check out suncoast.org.au. Hope you can join us again on the next podcast or here at Suncoast Church.